the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. We should have been in Singapore this week. The annual Singapore Maritime Week events are a well-established part of the maritime calendar these days and have become something of a waypoint to take stock of the industry's progress towards the twin mega-drivers of digitalisation and decarbonisation. But in the absence of actually being there, I'm turning to guests in Singapore who can give us a flavour of what we otherwise should have been talking about this week. My guests sit at the heart of the Singapore Maritime Cluster, and offer a remarkably upbeat view of the positives that we can take out of this current crisis, as well as an insider's view on how Singapore is faring against the current coronavirus challenges. I start by talking to Espen Poulsen, chairman of the International Chamber of Shipping and NSL, about Singapore's response to the crisis. And then I move on to a quick chat with Puneet Oza, whose supremely Singaporean CV includes a directorship at Clavness Asia, as well as being the executive director of the Singapore Chamber of Maritime Arbitration and the chair of the Singapore branch of the Institute of Chartered Shipbrokers. Although optimistic in the midterm, he also has a few words of caution for you on, on the perils of charter party risk in this current climate. So I would urge you to listen until the end of this one. But before we kick off this week, I wanted to offer a couple of shameless plugs for Lloyd's List projects that I think you might be interested in. First is our new Ask Our Analysts Anything Q&A webinar, where I will be joined by a panel of Lloyd's List experts and Lloyd's List intelligence analysts to answer your questions. The idea is pretty simple. On the last Wednesday of every month, we will be online live to talk you through our views on your market conundrums. Anyone can register to participate in the live sessions and submit questions in advance via the registration form on loislist.com. Access is free, so register and get your questions in as soon as possible. We're genuinely excited to see what you want us to look at. First live event will take place on Wednesday, April 29th at 2.30pm UK time. My second plug is for the Loislist magazine. Now, we've temporarily stopped sending you the print edition because, well, the majority were ending up in empty offices around the world. But the magazine is online and is available to download for free. So please do head to loyslist.com and take a look. This month's magazine, which is going to be available next week, features a deep dive analysis on the container sector and how the box boys and girls are fronting up to the coronavirus. We've got our crystal ball out for this one with some help uh, from the best analysts in the business. So it's well worth a read. We also have an exclusive interview with CMA CGM Chief Executive Rudolf Sade, plus all the latest upheavals in the tanker market, as well as our usual round of commentaries and long reads from the Lloyd's List team. In short, it is essential lockdown reading for everybody. Right, plugs over and on with the podcast. I start this week by asking Espen Poulsen to give us a view from Singapore. Crew change is the issue for the industry at the moment, more than any other. We keep saying that we want um, governments to the G20, who we've written to together with ITF, we want governments to to um, designate seafarers as key workers and the industry as key industry. And I think for very, very good reason. I, I, I honestly think if you look at the, 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 what the industry can do, even at a time like this, I, I would hope it might make the greater public aware that actually shipping does a pretty damn good job. And, uh, and that w- I, I think it's, 
the the public awareness of it may may um, I, I think increase and and perhaps uh, take on a more positive spin or, or view um, as time goes on because we are an essential uh, industry and and if if the you know if the supply chain of which shipping is in a way the link is badly interrupted the fact of the matter is that that some of these um, you know pharmaceuticals and, and food and and other products that on which the world relies um could you know this could come into question so we you know we've called on the g20 government to really do something to come up with a with a plan that that was coordinated instead of just people doing their own thing here and there and i we we've we have some encouraging noises you know out of the european union um and one or two other places and, and we're very hopeful but we we still got work to do and and we're getting on with it as you know, as fast as we possibly can. Indeed, indeed. And as you say, I mean, the the, the the positives to come out of this are, you know, a raising of the public consciousness in terms of the role that seafarers play. But also, uh, there, there, there are likely to be some other positives in the sense that the industry is working around problems, but it's also finding new ways of doing things, better efficiencies, certainly within the, the, the crew change issue which is devastating obviously for the for the crew themselves but speaking to a number of the ship managers they are finding um ways to collaborate they are finding efficiencies that they never even knew uh, they could achieve and i think that may become replicated across the rest of the industry mm-hmm. and again going back to singapore this hub where you have an existing um, collaboration interconnectedness very close working relationship between the singapore government and the maritime hub particularly in terms of uh, you know leading the way on innovation i'm thinking specifically around digitalization and decarbonization these twin driving forces i guess behind a lot of where we are going as an industry mm. uh, do you think you know there could be some positives to come out of this episode and perhaps some lessons learned going forward for the rest of us. No, I think I think that's a very very good point, and I and I uh, agree with you. I think there will be some 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 positives. You know, people are learning to work in ways that um, was deemed impossible. Uh, uh, you know, previously, I think no doubt the the way that we work uh, going forward is going to change as a result of all this, and certainly. Uh, you mentioned digitalization and interconnectivity and so on. The, 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 Singapore um, sees, you know, it, it sees innovation and technology as as musts for a nation city state of this type. And it mm-hmm. because the the competitive advantages that as a country Singapore can have, you know, th- this is an obvious one because here I, I have to say the, the as you know the standard of education is extremely high. Uh, and and um, there is a an amazing amount of expertise here, and there is also a great willingness to 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 go the in innovation route, and and I so I think you I think you're absolutely correct. I think it will be one of the um, many in this case a side benefit from from what has happened. Mm. And. Uh... We are talking in a week that um, in normal circumstances, we would all be with you in Singapore. It should be Maritime Singapore week this week. Sadly, we're not there. These conversations, to some extent, have had to have been postponed. Singapore Maritime Week generally is a a fairly established waypoint in the industry calendar to discuss, obviously, some, you know, Singapore issues. But it's also the opportunity to really set the agenda in terms of those 
twin factors of digitalization and decarbonization. What do you think we're, the conversations we're missing out on? Do you, do you think we're going to get back to those things? And you know, can you give us a flavour of, of what uh, what Singapore starts to look like when business gets back to something approaching business as usual? Um, you know, presumably these things do not stop. Um, we're we're effectively pressing a pause button here in some of these things. Um, that is absolutely uh, correct, and in fact. Not just here in Singapore, but we had a we had a very good uh, meeting with with, with uh, many of our board members um, uh, in in ICS the other day, and and several of them were very very anxious that we get the message across to the EU that in no way are we stopping, um, however bad things are, we are not slowing or stopping. Uh, our efforts um, in in re, in regard to, to to the all the effort going on with decarbonization, and um, and and you know they were very I, I was happy to hear how how sort of you know adamant they, they were that, that this would be the case, but but as an aside we um, you may have heard that um, the MPA has set up a um, a committee consisting of about twenty people mm. from around the world, uh, including roughly half from Singapore, and I, I am one of them, uh, chaired by um, Andreas Solman Pau to, to sort of look at this, look at the issue of, um, of, um, uh, of decarbonization, but in a slightly, maybe a slightly more futuristic way, just to sort of try and, you know, really go into it, but, but you know, by having a few meetings a year and, and, and you know, bringing in a, a huge amount of expertise uh, t- uh, together. And um, so, I, I, you know, that's just one example. And, and, and you know, there are any number of, uh, there are many number of initiatives um, of this of this type going on. But, but that one, we, of course, we have um, slightly high hopes for because I think it, it it's it's pretty high level and the level of expertise I'm not necessarily myself but you know the the, the assemble company will be one for sort of uh, blue sky thinking you know it, the efforts around decarbonization to some extent are going to be hit you know we don't have any IMO meetings happening right now uh, while conversations are happening in the background it, it is obviously having an impact in terms of decision making but do you see this as a pause rather than anything else, or do you think the 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 timeline, I guess, that was being set last year, where we had built up a real head of steam around initiatives like Poseidon Principles, Get to Zero campaign, um, do you think that could be to some extent uh, diminished a little as as the industry focuses what is realistically going to be a, a fairly significant economic restructuring of the the global economy? I mean, I, I think you you actually said it that um, hitting the pause button I think is the most is the most ac- accurate thing. It's it's clear that at a time like this we're into we're into territory that is unknown to anyone on this earth. Mm. I said to my children only recently, this is not one where I can turn you know tell you that we you know had we survived this particular crisis and you know everything was okay because this is completely new and we're we're really into uncharted territories so at at you know survival and and so forth of course is is the here and now but i i don't have any doubt um at all that that um that this will be a a pause and that we will 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 get back to it because i think 
I, I think society demands it, and we in the industry know this. And and we've done, as you know, the R and D fund that we that we launched uh, in in um, this December of 2019. Um, you know, okay, it's it may be a, a small step, but it is an industry cross industry. You know, numerous associations joined in to to do this, so it it, it does carry some weight and and we're you know we're i i think we're very um optimistic and in parallel there are numerous initiatives going on uh, it's as i said to someone the other day the the, the keys to this is a competitive advantage someone mm. someone's going to f- figure this out and and whoever does that's yeah that's a big um, that's a big thing but i think i think there's a real wish to do it and a real commitment to doing it, um, not, d- despite what uh, the doomsdayers would, would would tell you. Wonderful, Esmond Paulson. Thank you very much for joining the Lois List podcast. Thank you very much, Richard. Puneet Oza is one of those people who sits at the heart of the Singaporean maritime sector. His background is dry bulk shipping, but he currently sits on the board of Clavness Asia. He's the executive director of the Singapore Chamber of Maritime Arbitration. He's also a fellow of the Institute of Chartered Shipbrokers, chairing the Singapore branch of the Institute. And if that wasn't enough, he's also a guest lecturer at the Singapore Management University, lecturing in geopolitical risks and their impact on shipping and trade flows. Punit, we should be sitting with you uh, in Singapore, um, chewing the fat over where the industry is. But um, sadly, we are not. uh, The industry is not uh, in its usual place. And frankly, even if we had been uh, with you in Singapore, nothing that we had planned to talk about would have been on the agenda. Um, the uh, the COVID economic tsunami has blown through pretty much every assumption that we were talking about at the beginning of the year. All bets are off. Everything has changed. So just give us a flavor of how you see Singapore's maritime cluster responding to this. What's the general feeling you're getting this week? Yeah, I think I think the 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 a couple of aspects to this. The first aspect is how Singapore government as a whole responding to this, uh, and and that is obviously trickling down to the maritime ecosystem and and the individual players as well. Um, I think the Singapore government's response has been quite quick, rapid, and and uh, been very reactive to the changing situation. And I think they've given a lot of financial support uh, in terms of job support, uh, some cash support to all the citizens with actual cash payments into their accounts. Uh, me included in that, which I have very kindly and uh, rightly donated away to charities. And of course, the final support is a financial support that, you know, you're the restructuring tax contractual and debt obligations. That's something which obviously has, has created a bit of furrow legally as to how that would pan out. But overall, I think the people first approach has actually worked for, for the uh, government. And at the end of the day, I think maritime sector and trade is is very important component of Singapore's GDP. Um, and obviously, that means that they need to be very uh, cautious in not trying to uh, create any long-term sustainable harm to that uh, aspect with, with how they need to protect it. Um, I would say that the maritime sector uh, has been trying to uh, cope up with it. But uh, being a global uh, industry, obviously, we are very well connected across the globe. And mm-hmm. if you are able to give us the infrastructure to manage our uh, our communications, our operations in some ways, uh, that really helps in keeping things flowing. Um, Singapore government has also uh, basically put most of the shipping companies as essential services, uh, along with other logistics and, and, uh, and uh, transport companies. So obviously, the companies have the option of actually going to the office and uh, make sure that within the social distancing norms, 
they are able to at least have a skeletal staff that operates. Um, overall, I think um, the infrastructure has been quite uh, significantly uh, challenged, but it has really proven its test. Uh, the, the networks have been uh, able to cope up with the load. People have been able to actually still able to perform um, as best as they can within uh, constraints. Uh, of course, the COVID overall has not helped the industry as a, as a whole, and, and and the markets are really really tanking, except probably the tanker guys who are really having a a good day in the sun. Let's put it that way. But uh, overall, I think it's it's been a it's been a good response. Uh, I see all the discussions I'm having with other maritime players; they are all active, and they are all continuing to be um, uh, you know respond to messages and emails and the communications. In, in a best possible way that they can. So I wouldn't say the disruption has not been that significant as I thought it will be when I initially saw the COVID outbreak. It was quite, quite crazy at the moment, and it still remains quite crazy. But I think the maritime industry has coped quite well, mostly because mm. of infrastructure and financial support. Well, uh, you know, as, as, as we said at the outset, we would have been talking uh, pretty extensively this week around uh, topics of innovation, entrepreneurship, um, Singapore Maritime Week has traditionally been that epicenter of, I think, the the, the global digitalization debate. A lot of the um, uh, more innovative uh, advanced guard of, of how to get the infrastructure of shipping has really been um, honed within Singapore. It's very much got the government support. It's It's probably, I would say, a few years ahead of most of its rivals in terms of being uh, you know, properly connected. And it's been interesting to see how Singapore has responded to the COVID-19 risk um, by using technology. And I think probably some of that innovation has really paid off in its ability to keep things going. It doesn't solve all of the problems, but it does certainly allow the industry to keep operating. Do you think this is a question of uh, having pressed the pause button on uh, a number of those developments, or do you think it, it will give pause for thought um, you know, either in terms of the economic restructuring and priorities being elsewhere, or do you think actually it's, it's going to be a catalyst for further um, uh, innovation uh, along those lines? I think the I think the last part is probably most uh, most realistic. Uh, it's going to be a catalyst. Um, I think a lot of companies have literally had a wake up call in terms of uh, how they're using technology, how how they can use technology in in times like these. Um, and I think Singapore has uh, probably got enough examples, both within maritime and other sectors, to really exemplify how technology can be used to its fullest extent. Um, I'm a big believer myself in, in uh, innovation and digitalization. And I think it's, uh, it's really important that companies start investing in technology into people as an asset rather than just investing in ship as an asset. I think nearly all the new technology that came about in the last five years was aimed at the ships and trying to improve the performance of the vessels, which obviously is important. But nobody really concentrated their efforts on investing in the people as an asset, you know, building collaboration platforms and see how that can be done. How can startups actually try and help you with some of the common problems of efficiency and inefficiency challenges? So obviously, these are the things which will become now much more in forefront now. Um, and I think the digital solutions obviously have the power of data behind it. Uh, and they are able to then analyze and, and reanalyze situations and learn from the data uh, to, to try and get better solutions. Convention solutions don't have that option. Um, so obviously, digital solutions are the best thing. 
One thing that I must mention that there is a bit of a flip side to this as well. Uh, the first thing is that in a traditional shipping meeting, and I've been in shipping industry for many years, in a traditional shipping meeting, it was just not about the content that was the key. You had all the trimmings of the environment. You had an office environment. You probably had a couple of pints of beer go to go along with a meeting or whatever. So you obviously had a lot of support from other things. Today, uh, technology is, is key, but content is the king. If you really have a webinar uh, or you have a seminar online, if you don't have the right content or you don't appeal to the people whom you are talking to, they literally switch off. They just go away. Um, you can't walk out of a physical meeting, but you can easily switch off of a virtual one and get out. So obviously, that's one of the challenges that people have to realize that they need to deliver good content. The flip, the other side, the good part about it is that you can actually bring in a lot of experts from your own company. In, in case of Clavinus, for example, we can bring a research guy from Oslo to join the meeting virtually and an operations guy from Manila. And that would not be strange at all. That used to be very strange in a physical meeting because you don't want to get people from different countries to come into the meetings unless they're visiting Singapore. Today, it's very common for people to actually draw on expertise within the company and outside the company virtually in a meeting. And that's a positive thing to look at. So I think hopefully digitalization is something which will be speeding up and Singapore can take a very leading role in that going forward. So I think it's going to be a catalyst definitely for sure going forward. Yeah. And as you say, I mean, there's there's likely to be some real positives that we can take out of this, but we do have to get through the immediate uh, chaos, uh, you know, in terms of responding, reacting and rebuilding in, in, in some respects. And while it's been very interesting to see Singapore at the forefront of the debate over everything from crew change, uh, being a major crew hub, it was uh, the first port of call in many respects for the for the regulators to start looking at how they could uh, introduce green lanes um singapore was the epicenter a lot of the discussions about how to use um a sort of um port systems uh, more effectively to, to 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 work out some of the blockages um but also the flip side of that is that singapore's status as a uh, a transshipment hub um is to some extent i guess a negative if if trade flows are disrupted, Singapore is almost entirely reliant on trade flows coming in from third party countries. So with your geopolitical trade hat on, could you mm. give us a few thoughts in terms of how you think the sort of short midterm versus the long term is going to play out here? Because it's quite likely that trade patterns are going to be interrupted and Singapore is going to bear the brunt of that. Yeah, I mean, any 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 knock effect, knock on effect for the trade, a negative knock on effect for trade is obviously going to have a challenge for Singapore, which is, as you rightly said, uh, quite dependent on the world trade flourishing. Um, I think one of the biggest risks from this particular uh, epidemic or pandemic of COVID-19 is that at least for the short to medium term, countries will actually start getting a lot more inward looking. They start putting a lot more barriers uh, to protect their own internal uh, policies, economies. Um, and the other challenge is that because the enterprise values are plummeting across the world, uh, it may well be that the countries will actually start nationalizing some of the uh, industries. And obviously, if you nationalize industries, the way the industries are run are not competitive or they're not market sensitive. They are actually more politically sensitive to the needs of the internal population. And that is inward looking and that's actually a challenge. So that, according to me, is one of the biggest risks that uh, people are seeing. 
The other thing is that the good thing about Singapore is that they have been kind of, uh, you know, internationalizing, internationalizing their uh, exposure across the board. They have been very, very uh, keen to try and set up uh, joint ventures and, and uh, firms across the globe where they can help, uh, you know, technology-wise, but also finance-wise. So there is a concept which I remember uh, listening to uh, in the SMU was that rather than talk about made in Singapore, let's talk about made by Singapore. So when you have made by Singapore, then you have an experience where you can actually see a value addition coming into Singapore, maybe not in terms of trade flows, but maybe in terms of financial flows, which are benefiting from wherever the trade is happening across the world. So they've actually been quite significantly developing and investing across the globe. And hopefully that pays off in a time like this, because I'll give you an example recently that I saw that there was a mask factory, which was basically a Singaporean company uh, investment in Taiwan. And Taiwan basically uh, banned the exports of the masks from that factory because they wanted to uh, keep all the masks for the domestic population. But having investment in that company and selling the masks at, uh, at whatever price is selling at and, you know, having good production and, and uh, revenue obviously will flow back into Singapore through dividends. And that's really what it's all about. So I think there's going to have to be a balance between trade and financial flows uh, going forward. But overall, trade flows being uh, disrupted is never good for any country and, and not for the global world in general. Um, so obviously, I think Singapore has to um, really try and do some kind of, a, I would say, sensitivity analysis or maybe a scenario analysis as to where this pans out in the next, say, six months, eight months and over a year's time. Uh, long term, I don't think this will change anything. What might change is, as I said, people might start looking at diversifying their uh, base of uh, production and their base of, uh, of uh, consumption. So basically looking at new markets, looking at new places to produce. So Singapore should gain from some of that. And of mm. course, overall trade should pick up after a year. I think 2021 looks, everybody seems to be now have written off 2020 from what I can see. Uh, 2021 is where everybody is talking about now. Yeah. Everyone's hoping that this year goes away pretty quickly, I think. It's a question of getting through it. Um, yeah. we, we've had a couple of people on this uh, podcast uh, over recent weeks talking about the shape of the recovery. Um, I think, you know, initial hopes for a, for a quick V um, have, have, you know, evaporated pretty swiftly. Um, it's really a question of, you know, the shape of a U-shape recovery or, um, you know, whether it's it's a little bit more volatile and we're sort of uh, heading into more W territory. Uh, I mean, it, it, we are in the realm of guesswork here, but uh, any thoughts in terms of how you see things panning out? I think it's very fluid at the moment. It's uh, quite difficult to actually put in any kind of uh, forecast effectively. But what I, I think is that we have to look at the impact at, at uh, four levels. Uh, the first level is the global level. And I think the global level, there's going to be a paradox. There's going to be a globalization, which obviously will be spurred by technological collaboration. But at the same time, as I said, there'll be nationalization and protectionism in the same, uh, same area. So there will be countries who will actually look at the rest of the world to, to do more business. And there'll be some who will just look more inward as such. So that's a global scenario. The country itself, I think, at country level, it's going to be definitely more catering for population within your country and making sure that they are able to survive a challenge like this. On the company level, it's actually going to be a challenge with manpower and cash flow. So any com company that can actually manage its manpower needs well, 
uh, and also at the same time manage the cash flow as well. We'll ab- obviously go through this crisis because it's more a survival situation than a growth situation. And finally, on a personal level, every single person is basically now not wanting to spend more than what he's supposed to spend. So obviously, there's going to be a crunch in terms of how people actually change their spending habits. So I think the recovery is going to only happen when people are comfortable, because at the end of the day, every single trade, every single uh, shipping route or shipping commodity has a connotation with the final consumer demand. If the final consumer demand, people are not willing to take their wallets out of their pockets and spend it, it will be very difficult for any of these people in trading and shipping to actually see a recovery. Um, So I think it has to really be a few months of people actually getting out of this uh, symptom of insecurity. Until that happens, I think there's never going to be a a recovery on the cards. Uh, And I see that at least for the next three to six months, it's going to be very, very difficult for people to actually open up their wallets again. I just have one final word of caution over the years of experience that I've had with uh, situations like in 2009 and 1997. Um, The counterparty risk is extremely important in this situation. I think as a ship owner today, you have to realize that your exposure is your ship, your crew, and the value of the cargo that you have on board for which you've signed the bills of lading. And if you end up with a a counterparty who is not able to perform, the downside is huge for you. And I I want this because in 2008 and 9, we saw a lot of credit card operators. And what I mean by credit card operators was the rates are so low that you can pay a 15 days higher by using your credit card and probably also pay for the bunkers using your credit card today with the oil prices being what they are and use the air miles to travel the world and do your marketing. So I, I think it's, it's, it's actually quite true even today that with such low rates, there will be people who will mushroom out and actually say that we are weaker operators, we're going to take your share of time charter, give you $500 more per day. But that $500 for 30 days is $15,000 and you can have a whole of $2 million or $3 million before you know it in your balance sheet. So just be careful going forward as to how you evaluate counterparty risk. I think there's going to be a lot of screening there's going to be a lot of uh, basically shelling out of, of, uh, of uh, smaller operators who would still not be able to survive this kind of a shock. Uh, but just as owners, as operators, be very, very careful whom you're dealing with. So that's my last word of caution really for COVID. Yeah? Wise words. And uh, for anybody looking for a little transparency in terms of assessing their counterparty risk, uh, I can highly recommend Lloyd's List Intelligence Credit Reports. Offers sure. a very invaluable service in terms of uh, understanding and knowing your customer. Um, but for now, um, Pune Doza, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. We very much hope that uh, we get you on before next Singapore Maritime Week. I look forward to that and stay safe. Thanks, Richard. Thank you so Good much. Good stuff. Thank you.